if you're just telling a sad story without that solution, you're not giving people any ability to actually do something about it. Here's a really sad story, but if you can donate some money, we can actually do something about this. We can actually stop this problem. Welcome to Mission First, the podcast to learn from successful entrepreneurs changing the world for the better. Are you in the first three years of your company? And do you want to save time by avoiding making the same mistakes that lots of entrepreneurs have already done? Then make sure to follow this podcast because you are going to get actionable strategies coming directly from those who have found product market fit and are scaling up fast with their for-profit companies or their NGOs. Think about it as a masterclass about product innovation, business models, leadership, and growth marketing. Bonjour, bonjour, I am Gilles Toussaint, I help entrepreneurs have a bigger impact with this podcast, and I also help mission-driven companies increase their revenue more efficiently with growth marketing and my company, GT Impact. How can we make people more aware of animal species disappearing every day in this world, get people to care about it, to change, and also to raise money to protect these animals? My guest today, Paul Kudinov, realized that environmentalism is too often not something on the menu. People are too caught up in their everyday lives, they don't have the time, they do not know how to help. So he came up with Rewriting Extinction, a comic book collection with stories to change the world. In a few frames, their comics help you understand the issue, relate to it, and get a tangible action you can take today. The mission is simple, change, protect, restore, inspire. With this mission, Paul has managed to attract a panel of stars like the comedians Ricky Gervais, Andy Serkis, Gollum from Lord of the Rings for those who don't know, Jane Goodall, Peter Gabriel and in total more than 300 creators to contribute to these stories. Without spending a penny on ads, the writing extinction managed to reach 115 million people and collected donations for close to 1.5 million pounds. Paul is a fantastic producer and a storyteller. So in this episode, we discussed about how to build a brand with no media investment, get a lineup of stars to join your mission, get big media attention, and in the same time, he also gave us a lot of advice about how to tell an emotional story that anyone can understand and also how we organize these brainstorming sessions to create these stories. Are you ready? Let's go. Really happy to be here with you, Paul. How are you? I'm basically all of the E's. So I'm a combination of exhausted, excited, and something. <laughs> and also, just basically, yeah, it's a very, very curious time right now. We came out of COP a couple of weeks ago now, a couple of three weeks ago. And it was one of the most crazy and life-changing moments that, that I've had. And off the back of that, it's just been crazy. So many different people, organizations, charities have been in touch, wanting to basically take what we do, which is find new ways of engaging an environmental audience, that my inbox is just a dumpster fire right now, but it's great. Let's start directly, you know, with Henson advice on your feedback from the COP. What did you learn at the COP from an entrepreneurial point of view? I mean, you had this kind of viral effect uh, of like taking a picture with Leonardo DiCaprio. So I think it was probably a really good moment for you to meet him. I don't know if you had met him before, but especially you had like all the press taking over this picture with him and also talking about the fact that, you know, 
you came by plane, then flew again. So what are the learnings that you get from the copy? If you're an entrepreneur, what would you try to, to do the same way? Or what would you try to do differently? Well, the thing that actually was really beneficial for COP for me wasn't what happened inside the, what's called the blue zone. The blue zone, if people don't know, is the area whereby the world leaders and politicians and delegates, they meet and they try and hammer out a deal for what they're going to do for the planet. That was great and very important, don't get me wrong, but that wasn't for me where the value was. Most of the value that I found was in the fringe events, which is in meetings between business, politicians, activists, celebrities, and people who care. So for me, I think what COP26 did better than any other version of COP before was actually have a really active community of people who were meeting around the edges of the blue zone. And I spent a lot of time at the Engine Works, which was being run by uh, Goals House. And for people who don't know, Goals House is basically aligning the UN SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. And what they did is they basically put a whole bunch of people in the same building. And those people were politicians, experts, activists, celebrities, billionaires, millionaires, Jeff Bezos and people like that, all in the same building. And what they did in that building was truly beautiful. And, and I think the team from Four East deserve a lot of credit because they just left us alone just to meet each other, just to chat, just to find out who you had a natural affinity with and who might share your vision. And for me as an entrepreneur and also someone running an environmental project, it's the perfect setting because there's food, there's drinks, there's nice comfy chairs. It made it far less formal, which was a real tonic for the people who were formerly at the blue zone to come out of that very formal environment and then just to sit down and just have an open chat with some of the best people on the planet was really transformative. And that's where I, I met Leo, as you just mentioned. But as I keep saying the same thing here, what I think is really important is that we don't make environmentalism about the people who stand on stages and the people who are kind of in the public eye. It needs to be about the average person and what they can do as well. And I've really found that actually that, that message resonated specifically with the people who traditionally have been on stages. They really love the fact that we're talking about how we can get the average person to make a difference. So yeah, I, I think in answer to your question, what I would do differently is very little actually. I found actually the process we had of being all in the same room and just chatting and not necessarily having an agenda for the conversations you have was perfect. And I witnessed billions of dollars of change happening in front of my eyes just seats away from me. You could see the world changing, the business world changing the way they operate. And you're just a few seats away from that. So yeah, just to say what I do differently, would be very little, actually, to be honest, I'll just go back to that place again and just do the same thing again. Can everyone attend the COP in order to reach, for example, to be able to have access to that building, to be introduced to this whole network of entrepreneurs? I know in that case, you were promoting your book. And maybe just before answering that question, Let's take a step back. What is actually your mission? If you can remind it to me, the people from uh, live on Instagram sure. will probably like know your company, but the people who will listen to this podcast episode after when it's published, what are you doing with rewriting extension? Yeah. So for everyone who's just joined, I'm Paul Goodenough and I'm the founder of Rewriting Extinction. As Judas is uh, so beautifully holding up there, one of the things we've been doing or our main purpose is to take people on a journey where they currently don't engage with environmentalism, or they maybe don't care, 
or they maybe don't know how to actually do something, take them from that standing start to something they can tangibly do to save species from extinction. The way in which we do that is by entertaining them. So we find easy, fun, non-judgmental, apolitical ways of telling everyone across the world what environmental things matter and what they can do to help, generally by comics. So we basically have rewriting extinction as our social media accounts, and they give away free comics, and those comics entertain and educate, but mostly entertain. And um, we also collected together into an anthology that Gilles just held up a minute ago. The anthology has been at number one on the Amazon charts, and it's just been a Sunday Times Best Book of the Year listed uh, nominee, which is great. And I think it's fair to say that what we're doing is we are bringing people on that journey. We're talking to a non-environmental audience, the type of audience who gets turned off when they see very worthy, overachieving people almost lecturing them on what they should do. That's not our audience. Our audience is time-poor, average people who just want something simple and tangible to do. And we basically give them that, and we also entertain them along the way. Where can people get the book? In which country now and which platform? I think, again, I don't know every country, but it should be pretty much globally available. So you can get it from your local bookstores. You can get it from bookstore.org, but the predominant easiest way, no matter how you think about it, people getting it is through Amazon, which has a pretty global reach and distribution network. But if you go to our website, rewritingextinction.com, you can actually find a list of different resellers and distributors in the country you're in. And if you follow Rewriting Extinction, what we also do is we take certain comics from the book and we give them away on a weekly basis and say, hey, this is what we do. Here's a little tidbit. And also some of our best and most viral comics get pushed out online. And that forms both a marketing strategy for people to find out about us. But also what that does is that reaches an audience who can't afford to buy the book. Just as some people know, the money you are gathering with the book or all the donations, all the you're running a lot of donations, actions through the social media with the different participants, uh, creators who created the books and the different comics that you're sharing. Where are this money going? So it's really cool, actually. So if you donate, your money gets divided into three pots. Or if you buy the book, it's the same, but the, the split's slightly different, but I'll explain that in a minute. The first pot is in challenging the laws in the business practices that's driving species to extinction. Often, they're ridiculous, antiquated laws, and you just need some money to actually challenge them. As an example, the fishing lines on the back of boats. Currently, they're at an angle that means that albatrosses see them, see the fish, and they go and get caught in the fishing lines and they die. Moving it down by a few degrees means that the fishes are, oh, sorry, the, the albatross eye can't see that anymore. So then, therefore, Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions are saved every year just by that slight change. So that's the first pot. So that's working with Greenpeace to change the laws and the business practices. Change, basically. The second pot is in protection. So that then is buying land that indigenous people have lived on for generation after generation. And when they've lived there, they've kept that land safe. And it's some of the most biodiverse spots on the planet. And the reason it's so biodiverse and the reason it is, it's lived on by so many endangered species is because it hasn't been commercialized. It hasn't been capitalized like a lot of land across the planet. These bits of land are the last breaking points, so we need to keep them safe. So with a third of your money is actually going to keep that land safe and protected. 
The last third of your money actually turns with World Land Trust. The last third of the money is five projects all over the planet that's reintroducing species and rebuilding ecosystems. And if people don't know, read something like Rewilding by Izzy Tree. And what that tells you about is the power of the reintroduction of one species that can entirely change and hypercharge an ecosystem back into recovery. So things like the Tasmanian devil, the beaver, the Iberian lynx, the Marsican bear, the vulture. What they do is by putting them back into the ecosystems, it allows all the other species to benefit from that. And it changes weather patterns. It changes environmental disasters like flooding and wildfires. It also improves the, the, the breeding capacity of the other species in there. So yeah, it's a very long answer, but basically every single pound we make, every single dollar we make gets divided in those three ways. And for every hundred pound we make that goes to the World Land Trust, we can generally buy an acre of land. So there's a very tangible thing that every week we put on our website, we have saved this many species from extinction. We've bought this much land. We've raised this much. So every book, every donation has a very tangible outcome. And that was what was so important to me that people could immediately say, well, I've put 10 pound in, 50 pound, 100 pound dollars. I know that I have actually bought a small parcel of land that's safe forever. And that's that thing done. It's a beautiful way to help. How is, and so right now talking about numbers, just to give an overview to the listeners, how much have you raised in donation in, I think, in less than six months, you told me, in terms of reach to the different like, people? What are the numbers you can share with us? Absolutely. So the, the reach has been absolutely astronomical. So right now, we've already reached and had our comics seen by over 115 million people globally. And that audience is mostly an audience who doesn't really engage with environmental matters. So mostly that's an audience on Instagram who want to be entertained, which is fantastic, which means we're actually getting to the places and the people we want to get to. In terms of fundraising, we've raised about £100,000 so far. But I should also say there are things coming down the road that should substantially increase both those numbers. We've got partnerships with people like Webtoon, who are a fantastic online comic platform, and they get about 7 million views a day. We've also got partnership deals with people like Rapa Nui T-Mill, who are the clothing company. So we'll be ra launching a range of clothing soon. And that should, again, hopefully bring in hundreds of thousands of extra money. And with that, save even more species. But despite that, I really do also want to say that I and we are working really hard to raise as much money as we can. We also need all the people out there, all the listeners, all the people who might watch or, or listen into this. Every one of you you can play a part as well. Rewriting Extinction is just me and a few volunteers. We don't have the funding that some of the NGOs have. It's all entirely funded by myself. So everyone who can share our story or donate or ask their friends to share our story, it all absolutely matters and counts. So yeah, that's where we are. 100,000 pounds raised, over 150 million views, and we're not stopping here. That's really exciting. It's going to be super interesting to talk, especially about the marketing strategy you have right now on Instagram a little bit. But before, let me go back to the question I wanted to ask you. If I want to go as an entrepreneur with my startup or also as a person to the COP 
Can everybody go and access or do you have to pay to get the booth? Because I know you had some kind of booth to promote your book. Actually, I didn't, Shil. So, uh, yes. So, sorry, I forgot to answer that question. So, COP26 as an event is not open to anyone. To be in the blue zone, you have to have accreditation, which will come generally from a government. Then they've got the blue zone, which is the closed area where you get your world leaders. And that's a very secure environment. You've got the green zone, which is part public. They run events in there, but you have to have the tickets to get into those events. The fringe events, which happen in and around COP, is a mixture. Certainly Gold's House, where I spent a lot of time, that was an invite only. I was lucky enough that Matthew Freud, who runs the PR agency Freud's, that was running Gold's House, was kind enough to invite me. And he, he deserves a lot of my thanks and gratitude for what he did. And so I don't have an immediate answer for you. It's a kind of an invite you know people who can get you in that room rather than there's a, a like a place you fill out a form and they say yes or no. It's more of a, an invite-only thing. But saying that, there is loads of stuff, there was, sorry, loads of stuff in and around COP that was completely open to the public. There was Extreme Hangouts, which was basically a boat down on River Clyde where Matt Damon spoke via Zoom and a lot of other kind of experts and entrepreneurs and also people involved in activism spoke there entirely open. Anyone could turn up. And the same was true of lots of the venues. So the Times also run a pub event, which has took over a pub and they had Lucy Siegel, Dale Vince and other experts talking there. Again, entirely open. So yeah, I don't have a, just a, a single answer for you, but effectively, if you know people in the environment sector and you have an offer that is interesting, generally you can get into these places. Talking about the book, I mean, your project in general, just to write this book, you got partners, creators. I think how I learned about the book was actually because, not Ricky Gervais, Andy Serkis. I saw a post about rewriting extension in Andy Serkis, and that's how I learned about it. So, you know, Andy Serkis, mm. for those who don't know, like Gollum in Lord of the Rings, and then, you know, you have Dame Judi Dench, lots of really big creators and, and artists. In there, you send me a list of do's and don'ts about this. And you told me, so how to get the lineup of people, stars, let's say, or call them like that, to join a mission and how to get featured on big media like BBC without paid PR. And the first one you told me was, don't try and get stars to care about your mission. Find the stars who already align to it and actively want to help. Can you explain that a bit more, what you mean by that and how we can apply that if somebody wants to start a project like yours? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the first thing I approached it in a very professional sense. So that's really, really key for me. I didn't just basically start spamming and emailing people with just random requests. That's just going to piss people off and just really annoy them um, because they get so many requests. So first of all, I started from a position of, right, okay, I made a, uh, almost like a patchwork where I said, what are the audiences that we need to get environmental messages to? So I, I looked at LGBTQ plus audiences. I looked at audiences who care about things like reality TV, music, comedy, blah, blah. And then what I did is I did research. I didn't just go to the first person I, I could think about in that category. I went to see who was actually in that sector talking about environmentalism, biodiversity loss, climate change. And also I looked at what, what they were saying. What did they care about? So again, didn't just go in randomly. Hey, Ricky Gervais, would you just write a story for me, mate? Because that's not going to go down very well. But if you can go to someone like 
Cheddar Gorgeous, who's a drag queen who's been speaking about the impact of makeup on the planet. And I went and said, hey, Cheddar, would you like to write a comic story about that thing that you've been trying to talk about? That's the key. That's why I didn't try to get Andy Serkis to talk about makeup and get Cheddar Gorgeous to just try and talk about the disappearing ice sheets. I went to them and said, that thing you care about, can we help you get a different audience to it? And that's why we had so many people who just stepped forward and wanted to do more, which is great. If we break it down, you identified your audience to know what kind of content you could write about. Then you found, uh, let's say, the influencers who were already writing about that. And you exactly. reached out in that context saying, I have this idea, I would like to create a book and comics about it. Would you like to basically do what you're doing, but just uh, do it for the book and I'm gathering the stories of everyone. I help you because I know like some of them are copywriters and of course you need like comic designers in that case. And I guess some others where come like for every story that I see in the book, you can see that you know, it's been developed by Professor Michaelman, for example, and then adapted by Roger Stern and Arts and Colors by Joey Orsai. So for every comic, it's usually a combination of two to four people who are working together. And so in that case, you just let, let them do what they do best, talk about what they do, what they like most. And then just the process easy for them. What do they get in return? I mean, how easy is it to convince a Ricky Gervais, for example? Did you know him personally before? No, no, I didn't know hardly anyone on the project beforehand. And all I'll say is that the fact that we're saying to celebrities, experts, comic creators, we're going to make a comic about that thing that you care about, meant there wasn't really any convincing needed. I didn't press anybody to do this. I just went to them and said, do you want to do it? And the people who said yes. We did it. Sometimes, actually, I need to give a lot of credit to people like Cara Delevingne and to Richard Curtis because they introduce people as well. Yeah. A lot and of the time, particularly Cara, she had such fun on her session we had with her that she said, oh, I need to introduce this person and that person. They would love this. And that was really key to it. So just to explain to people at home, what we do is we have a video brainstorm where we say, okay, in this video brainstorm, we have somebody who has access to an audience we have a second person who has expertise in that matter. Third person, generally me or Sarah, who kind of is an overarching view on it. And the fourth person who's a comic creator. And then what we do is we get on a call. It takes half an hour to an hour. And we just have some fun. We come up with silly gags, jokes. We have heartbreaking stories, uplifting stories. We just knock the idea around. And actually, I think that was the key to it, really, that actually everyone had such fun on those calls and they really felt at the end of it, that comic was theirs because it really was. It's not like we've just gone, hey, I don't know, Ricky, can we stick your name on a comic we're already making? He actually made the comic. He actually wrote the thing. Or, hey, Chris Packham, can we stick your name on this thing about butterflies? Again, he wrote the story. That, for me, is the key. Actually, then, there's so many charity projects out there where it's like, we're trying to raise informational money about the thing. Stick your name on it. Come make a picture with us. Everybody, everybody involved actually was part of their own story, a key part. And as you said, you start with the one that you can grab and that are the most excited about. And then usually because they love the process, then they refer you to the others. And of course, the, you, you go gradually from there to keep on going on how to get people joining your mission. And again, what you said is very right. That's what I say to all the entrepreneurs who have a, a sustainable mission or a social mission. Start with your mission. If you don't start about your product, don't start about what you do, start about what you believe in. 
And usually, the, you know, start with why. It's very well known. And this is how you get the people to stick with you and to join your project. The second do you send me was media loves a new angle, a new way of approaching a problem or providing a solution. So mm -hmm. be bold, passionate and inspired and ask yourself, what would make me stop scrolling? And you'll probably find that the media will love it. Can you yeah. iterate a bit on this? Well, I think what we have at the moment is we have an absolute glut of information. All of us are so time poor right now. I mean, Gilles, at the beginning, we just talked about how busy you are. None of us have enough time to do all the things we want to do. So just look at it from the point of view of somebody who's really time poor, who really wants something to make them excited. And if you're saying, okay, I want to do what this charity's done before or this entrepreneur has done before, people are going to be like, oh, I've covered that story. I've, I've spoke about that thing. What's new? What's exciting? And that we had that. So basically I work, you know, when I was working out the project in my head, I thought, well, how do we get environmentalism to a new audience? And what's the story? What's the PR story? What's the media story? What are they interested in? And for me, speaking personally, I think rewriting Extinction is doing for environmentalism what comic relief did for humanitarianism. And if you didn't know, for the people at home who are listening, you didn't know, previously, a lot of the world's humanitarian and social problems weren't really being globally recognized. So comic relief, what they did is they went and made human stories about the things happening, particularly in Africa when they first started, but all around the world as well. And what they did is they said, we'll tell you about these really impactful stories and we'll also entertain you at the same time. And that's a great story for the media. It's another version of Comic Relief. I get it. There's an immediate hook there that people can understand, but it's a new angle. It's a new thing. Oh, and it's comics. Fantastic. People love comics. Oh, and it's got some great celebrities too. Great. We love celebrities. That, that for me was what made it easy for us to get so much media. Um, and really we get at least one or two media things or appearances or, or talks that, that I and we do every week. And that's not slowing down. That's in fact actually ramping up now. I think this is a trend. This is a way to go now. It's called edutainment. And it's the same mm -hmm. thing with advertising. We are bombarded with advertising at the moment. Part of my job is to, you know, I do gross marketing for, for companies. And part of my job is to, to create advertising or to accompany, support clients with that. And we have so many advertising everywhere. People don't look at them anymore. The same thing on social media. Like most of the social media are full with advertising. And at the end of the day, if you want to stand out with your post in that noise, it's the same thing as well. If you want to promote your project, it's not about just selling it, whatever it's with an ad or with a post, if it's not paid, this is still the same idea. What works or the most successful ones are the ones that actually understand that they need to entertain the people, educate them and provide value. And if you do the three, if you entertain them, if you educate them, and you provide value, in that case, it's the magic potion to make sure everybody is, is talking about your project. To bridge to the next part, which was in the comic books, I thought that's something that would be very interesting for everyone to learn of, you know, how to tell a good emotional story that anyone can understand. And this is basically what you've done brilliantly in this book with in a lot of different like, kind of stories. You know, I'm not usually not a big fan of comics. I, it's Ooh. the same thing because they are, they are so... <laughs> I mean, I, the thing is like, I have my style. And the good thing about there is that there are lots of different styles. And this is exactly. what, I, what I like about it. And so like everybody will find something that they like. 
But what I like about it here is that every time you have a story about a specific cause that are related to protecting seas and oceans, for example, and then you have a few of them, and then after every time you have one practical way of what you can do in order to help make this world more sustainable, to help like save the writing extension in that case. But before that, I'd like to know, you, you talk about this video brainstorming session. How long are they, how long should they be? And what are the steps that you go through in a video brainstorming session to go from nothing to, it's not a final idea, I guess, in one session, but at least a good idea at the end of the session? Absolutely. So yeah, generally take half hour. Um, what, what I've generally done at the beginning is say, hey, whoever's on the call, here's an example of a great comic. And this is why it's great. Uh, I'll try and get one up to show you. Actually, I was quickly flicking through the book while you were talking. Um, I've used this one more than anything. It's a story written by David Schneider, Amber Wedden, myself and Chris McCoy. So I'm trying to hold it up in such a way that people can see it. And if you can't, what it says is it's got two orangutans on the date. And they're, if you don't know, they're in, in danger at the moment. So what they're, what they're doing is they're saying, I've had a lovely time with you. Maybe we can go back to your place. The orangutan, the male orangutan says, well, it's a bit of a mess. And then you finish by actually seeing that the reason that his place is a mess is because it's been deforested. So we show that at the beginning to help frame what a good comic might look like. And then we explain, well, generally what we do in a four panel comic is the first panel is about understanding the issue. The second panel is about making it relatable, human relatable, something we will know. And then the third or fourth panel is around the gag and where you actually hit people in the heart and say, oh, and then from that, you've really framed the conversation. So you then say, well, okay, well, what are we going to talk about? They talk about something they care about. You say, okay, great. What's a human relatable way of taking your issue and making it something that everybody across the world can understand and relate to? And then comes the hard bit. What's a joke? What's the funny thing? What's the takeaway? And that's where the, the hard work happens and the magic. But generally you get to that point in about half an hour and then you, you basically refine it for like, you know, offline, outside of the, the call. And that's how you make a good story. But just to finish on that, some of the things I think make a good story is you need to actually have empathy for the character. Naming a character is really, really important. So you may have heard of Harambe or Cecil the Lion or Wally the Walrus. Once you name an animal, people start to emote and actually feel some resonance to it. And that is really important. You have to make people understand that it matters what ha happens to that species. Once you understand it matters, then you can then tell the story you want to tell. I do need to quickly point out the story that uh, Jenny Jinya created that, that kind of started it all off. If you don't already follow Jenny Jinya online, she does some incredibly heartbreaking stories. And if you can't see already what this story is, it all relates to a fact that I heard that a billion sea creatures are being affected every day by a plastic waste. And I heard that fact and I couldn't comprehend it. So what Jenny's done is she's taken that fact and boiled it down to a very simple thing. You've got an albatross mother who's feeding plastic waste to her chick because there's nothing else she can find. And because the albatross mother doesn't understand that plastic waste isn't good for her chick, she just keeps feeding the chick more waste and more waste. And then slowly during the comic, 
unfortunately the uh, the chick passes away and dies because the mother couldn't find anything except plastic waste to feed her chick that story broke me it absolutely broke my heart and had about 40 million views plus online on its own and that's what rewriting extinction is all about it's not about saying a billion sea creatures are being affected by plastics it's about saying here is a story of a mother who can't feed a chick because of what humanity is doing so that we all feel something we all know that we have to do something out the other end so hopefully that, that answers your question yeah, I mean, like you talked about lots of different, very interesting things here. So when we take that story, what it managed to measure online, the reach it had and the, the reactions it had with people, have you got some kind of um, relationship already now, I mean, cause and consequences between how engaging a story is and how much people react to it and the donations? Because this is something that like I think is being debated a lot online now is like, should we go for the sad story? What I like about the book too is that there's a part about the dramatic parts and then the part more like different types of tones, funny, not funny, sad, stories that inspires and stories that are more dramatic. So mm. do, do you know at this stage now, because you can measure all of that, do you know if there is a relationship for all the entrepreneurs out there? Is that better to really connect on a sad message to someone and to talk about the problem in that case so much that you connect with them? in order for them to take an action after? Or is the inspiring part actually moving people more towards action? Yeah, so I don't actually have the, the right answer for you. And the reason is because each of our stories is quite unique in the way it handles the, the actual subject matter and has a unique collaboration and also has a different way of packaging it up. There's no, there's no right or wrong way, I think. But I think that if you're doing one of those and just keep pushing one of those, you're going to fail. Because people can't take too much heartache. They need some inspiration. They need some positivity. So, for example, just to uh, sort of call out and say, so one of our charity partners, Rewild, what they do so well is they talk about what are the solutions, what we're actually working towards. And if you're just telling a sad story without that solution, then you're just not giving people any ability to actually do something about it. You're just making them sad. You're giving them you're giving them this, this negative energy and they can't put it anywhere. So for me, with that story you just made with Jenny Ginia, for example, we're saying, okay, look, here's a really sad story because that's Jenny's brand. Here's a really sad story. But if you can donate some money, we can actually do something about this. We can actually stop this problem. And that for me is when, to speak to the entrepreneurs, that's when things get really interesting, when you can highlight a problem make people care and they give them a tangible solution out the other end. And I need to just uh, also say that all of our charity partners are, are doing that really well. So all of their projects they're doing all across the world are specifically making a difference. And, and that's what the money is going towards, actually tangibly helping. So yeah, so <laughs> I realized that kind of was dodging the question a little bit, but it does really, really depend. But I think that the takeaway here is in any case, you can't feeding only sad stories. It's the same thing, right? If you want to write, if you write an ad, if you want to promote your product, I mean, everybody knows, I mean, if you do a bit of marketing, you will understand that it's always good to start with the problem because yeah. that's how our brain, our, our brain is wired. Like, like our ancestors, they used to react to, you know, noise and uh, because basically it would mean being aware of the problem would mean for them surviving or not. And our brain, even though we're not, 
like living in the caves anymore. We're still like not so far away from there in terms of, of like our brain activities. And this is why it's proven in terms of marketing as well, that starting with a problem is something that, that actually can attract the attention of people. But the problem is if you keep on only talking about the problem, of course, you're not going to get anything from it. So you start with a problem, usually you agitate it, as we say in the past, copywriting like frame structure, and then you offer your solution. Let's talk about the advice you sent me. So you just uh, named one of them right now, which was like, uh, if you use a non-human character, give them a name. It's the same thing. If you use a human character, I think you know, like giving them a name is something that uh, people can relate to. You just put yourself in the shoes of your audience. Basically, when you talk about the problem, it's good to talk about Johnny. If you sell a, I don't know, a more sustainable soap, for example, it's good to talk about when you develop the product, to talk about Johnny who has actually that typical problem that helps you to frame the problem and to really put yourself in their shoes. But so one of the other dudes and me was find a way to relate to the lives of the audience. So yeah, so Jenny's story, just to go back to that one, what, what she did there is she just framed plastic pollution, the entire problem with single-use plastics and seas full of waste. She framed it around a, a mum trying to feed her child the best she could. And every parent and probably everybody in the planet can empathize with that. Even if they don't have direct experience themselves, they can empathize with it. And what is the truth in that? So I always try and find what is the single truth in every story? What's the thing that everybody goes, yes, I know that to be true because I felt that feeling. Everyone knows that feeling of wanting to do the best for someone else. And also everyone knows that feeling of being unable to do something. So with that, the story was around an albatross mother trying to save the life of her chick. We all can feel that and trying to do the best for chick, but being unable to actually control the problem. We've all had that in our lives. We've all basically found that the problem's too big or we can't control it, or it's much bigger than we are. And the clever thing about that story is the relation there is the reason that problem is too big for that mother to deal with is because of us, humanity, and it ties the story, you see those plastics and those cigarette butts in that story, it ties it to us as humanity. So it makes us look at ourselves. And it also reminds us of the truth of just a, sing just a mum trying to feed her chick. So yeah, to give the specific advice, to go back to your question, what is that one thing to be true? Is it that you wake up in the morning and you do anything you can just to not get out of bed? Is it that you, you dream of these great big changes you're going to make in your life, but you just can't be bothered to get started? What's the truth? What's the emotion and the reaction that all of us has had as humans? And then put that into the story. Because when someone reads it, they can go, oh, that's me. Yes, yes, I've done that. That is at the heart of every story we try to tell. Something that immediately everybody can go, that's me. Or if not, that's me, I could empathize with it. And that's where it gets very important to actually dig into your persona to know what they, what might that thing be. And the second advice you sent me was know your character and give them a voice. So mm -hmm. tell me more about that one. Yeah. So something a lot of storytellers do when they're first starting out is they make a character to fit the plot. So like, okay, well, I've got this plot of world domination. You know, there's basically these bad guys trying to take over the planet. Well, who am I going to, who am I going to basically create? What character shape am I going to create to fit these holes in my plot? And that's the wrong way around. If you create a character that you would love to meet at a party, even if they're evil or wonderful or useless, 
they've got to be interesting. You've got to be as human, if not more human, more interesting than everyone you know in your life. You've got to want to hear them talk. Otherwise, what happens is it's just a lump of film or a lump of story and it's eminently forgettable. It's the people and the characters that actually make a story memorable. I always try to watch people, like watch people on tubes or watch people when they're walking around every day and the way they look at their phones, the way they talk to each other. And I aim to get the, the characters and stories that, that, that I create and we create to have that level of realism that people recognize them and say, oh, that's just like, or that feels like. And then again, to go back to the previous point, that makes you care because you can imagine being their friend. And you've probably heard many, many stories of fans and um, followers seeing actors who play roles on TV shows, books, films, whatever, and they feel like this character is their friend. They feel like they know that character better than they know some of their own families. And that's by good writing, because that character represents something that they find attractive, not necessarily sexually attractive, but attractive. And you need to do that with all your characters. You need your characters to be someone that people want to hear more from. Or hate to hear to more from. Well, yeah, you have it. That's still a want. You, whether you, even you hate characters, like there's some absolutely just deplorable characters. So Matthew Lillard played one of the most evil characters I've ever seen in any show ever. It was in a film called uh, Dead Man's Curve. And when I watched it, I was literally I was digging my nails into my hands because it was the most evil thing I've ever seen. But I also adored it. It was so beautiful. The character was so beautifully crafted. It was just this real piece of work. And yes, I didn't like the character, but I definitely want to hear what he said next. The fourth one was, if you want to reach new people, don't make your story worthy or overly intellectual. Tell me more. Yeah, so... um I might have met, lost a few friends at COP26. Uh, it's basically almost all of the panels and the talks I was either part of or near, they were just full of massively overachieving people. There was like someone saying, oh yeah, I was at 13, I started my first activist movement. At 16, I become the youngest UN ambassador. I, when I was at school, I basically raised a million dollars for this thing. What that does, it's not to decry those people because they're obviously absolutely amazing. They're they're doing more than all of us. But if you start making your stories for those people, for those overachievers, the people who care so much, then what you're doing is you're cutting out the 80% of the planet who care as much as they can. And we need to talk to the 80% of people, the, the vast audience who is turned off by those overachieving people, the experts, the, the facts and the figures. We need to reach them because that's, we all need to come together. So to, to make a reference, <laughs> apologies for me choosing your, your cultural background. Sometimes I find environmentalism is like a group of French people speaking French to a French audience and they congratulate themselves because all those French people understood the French they spoke. Um, so what What I think you need to do is move away from that worthy sphere, move away from that intellectual sphere and just get to the average person, the the person who's woke up with a hangover from the night before and just doesn't think they can do anything that day. Reach them. Reach the single mother who has very little time and just wants to scroll through her Instagram feed to be educated or to smile for, for the first time that day. Reach the family who 
they're struggling to make ends meet, but they want something they can care about and do as a family together. Those, for me, are the audiences you need to speak to if you want to get big penetration, big market penetration, because otherwise you're just talking to the echo chamber, if that makes some sense. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. I have something that I'm just wondering on my, on my side here is like, if you want to reach a really high audience, you want to go away from the very elite. If you want to talk to the mass, how do you still do that? Yeah, well, for me, it's emotions. So basically, even if you have 10 pennies or 10 cents in your account, you have 10 billion, you still have certain human connective things that happen to you. You'll still have your fears. You'll still have your fears of the future. You'll still have want to do the best for your children or your friends or your family. You'll still have things that can connect all of you. Um, speak to those rather than speak to, oh, isn't it awful that when your car won't start, what if I have a car that makes me feel like, you know, feel like crap, you just excluded me from the get-go. I would put in another term, uh, put it in like exercise terms. To get people fitter, you don't want people like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you don't want bodybuilders, you don't want Chris Hemsworth talking to them. You want somebody who's probably just started exercising, just finding their way. You want someone who can talk about exercise in a nice, fun, friendly manner with an arm around the shoulder. You don't want to walk into a gym and just see all of these absolute beefcakes telling you what you need to do because it just, you're so far away from them. It's exclusionary. You need to basically have somebody who says, look, come on, put the arm around your shoulder and say, let's just go for a walk. Let's just eat a bit healthier today. Let's get started. And that's kind of what I mean. If you deal with things like you were saying at elite level, for some people, that's too far away. They can't possibly get to that elite level because it's just, it's insurmountable in their heads. So you need people to kind of greet them where they are, put your arm around their shoulder and say, look, let's just start. Let's just start walking together. The next advice you send me is don't assume people care like you do. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> So this one I learned myself the hard way. It's very hard. People have a certain amount of emotional energy. And sometimes that emotional energy is spent in things that they care about. So for example, one of my friends unfortunately lost their son to a brain tumor. And me trying to speak to that friend saying, no, 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 your money, your time, your effort should be placed here. That's not going to work. It's going to basically even make that person feel bad or try to push back against you. So don't try to assume that your mission, the thing that you care about, and the thing you think will save the world, will save somebody else's world. We've all got very different backgrounds, needs, pain in our life, which is why for our project, what we've tried to do is, is focus on the tangibles and not say, Gilles, you should care about this thing. We, what we've said is, actually, Gilles, if you want to help, here's what you can do, and here's the tangible outcome. So you don't necessarily need to care about species loss. You don't necessarily need to care about climate action. You can just say, okay, I don't want to care. I just want to do this thing and then forget about it. That's cool. I have no problem. If, as long as everyone's pushing in the same direction, helping, I don't need to make you feel bad to, for that to happen. I guess that's my, my point. You're saying something interesting here is basically what, what it means as well is don't tell people what to do. Don't tell mm -hmm. people that care so much you should do as I think you should do. But at the end, you want people to get actions so if we go a little bit about out of the storytelling here, but more about the actions on the marketing, for example, what's your experience? What have you seen regarding the kind of call to actions you, you want to use when you basically would get the people to still have these viral posts? 
and people are sharing it, but also people taking a donation. So the challenge you used mostly, if it hasn't changed since the last time we worked a bit together, was like our mo- like is mostly Instagram and basically social mm-hmm. media plus PR. So let's take Instagram as an example. People can donate directly from the posts and that actually works very well for some of the posts you've made. So what's your advice to get the story done, the post done, and then which call to action should you use or how much should you be pushing people to take action? Yeah, so it depends on the issue at hand. So, um, for example, if you're talking about plastic pollution, you don't want to ask people for donations generally because that isn't the issue. The issue is basically people's relationship with plastic. So in that one, we, for example, push things like petitions. We push things for people like to make personal changes in their lives. If, however, you're talking about the extinction of a species because of human intervention, then generally we might want to push for a fundraiser to buy that land to protect it from human intervention, for example. And in terms of what we find, so just in terms of helping people who are out there looking to learn from us, we find there's a really amazing engagement on Instagram. So, so many people take in and understand and care about our comics. What it's much harder to do on Instagram is to get people off that platform, as I expect a lot of people know. That's both because Instagram have designed it that way, but also because of the nature of what you're doing when you're on Instagram. And so we just finished talking about, you know, don't assume people care like you do. I think, were were you finished on that note? I think so. Basically, the long story short is we all have our own passions and trying to convince somebody that your passion is better than theirs or bigger than theirs is just going to not work. So you should always account for an audience who doesn't want to care, but wants to deal with the problem. So what we did is said, okay, if you don't want to care, that's fine. Here's what you can do. And that is immediately beneficial, tangible, and actually helps the planet. Really, really key. Don't just, don't try to bully people into caring, I guess is the point. Yeah. Just tell a story and let people decide um, how you do it. Absolutely. And and make make your call to actions clear that if they want and if they care about, they can act. Absolutely. Um, and the last one you sent me was don't give up. So <laughs> storytelling isn't a science. So I'd love to have more explanations about this. So, yeah, I mean, don't give up. It's a really, anyone who's been a writer or a storyteller will tell you that, that don't give up is pretty much something we have tattooed on our soul. You never necessarily know uh, um, what's going to work. And it's not necessarily your best work that gets the best response. Um, to give you an idea, with us, what we do is we make comics of all natures to introduce people to environmentalism. We made some incredible, and I mean incredible, long-form comics, multi-page comics. And we thought, people are going to go crazy over this. And they did. Don't get us wrong. They did. They, they did really well. But it was not comparable to what we did afterwards, which was make almost all of our online comics four panels only. What we didn't foresee... And what we assumed that proved to be wrong was that people would look at the first panel or the first page of a multi-page comic and be so engaged that they kept looking. That wasn't the case. You only got the, the power users, the people who already cared about that thing. So we learned from that. We learned that basically people wanted to engage super quickly, everything on one single image, and then move on. So yeah, so don't give up. Learn from your lessons. Find the things that, that actually you can tangibly take away as, as actions for the next one. And it's hard, 
but don't be too emotionally invested in the things that you care about. Because if you're writing a story for your own benefit, that's great. You'll find an audience of people who truly love what you care about and they'll be loyal and they will follow you till the ends of the earth. But if you want to reach people who you don't normally talk to, you have to basically play in their ball pits. You have to basically play in their sand pits or their, their, their things they care about. So yeah, so that would be my advice. Just And I mean, that's a very important lesson for all entrepreneurs out there. And it's the same thing if you build a product as telling a story here, uh, you need to try really different formats and fail fast. You need to try, and if you want to innovate, whatever it's innovating with the product or with your stories or with your marketing, you really have to try very different angles because mm -hmm. uh, trying different formats in terms of marketing and, and copywriting uh, it is very, very important. So it's the same thing if you test, don't take one format and then make three pages or four pages. Make one format, which is one sentence and make a format, which is 10 pages and one of three pages. And then these are the more extreme the test you're mm -hmm. making, the more you're going to learn because the danger of trying to optimize a bit around that, you might optimize it, increase it by 10%. But actually changing the format completely might increase it to a potential of like 70 or 500 or 2000%. So you need to really try, be extreme in the different kind of tests you're making, whatever is in terms of format, storytelling, channels, same thing, right? You, like you try Instagram, but like right now, everybody should like try on TikTok. Maybe TikTok is not the right like, thing for you, but if you don't try it, you will never know. Absolutely. And you, you might be missing big on that channel. And yeah, to give you an idea, to go back to the point you're making, you're exactly right, because the, the first multi-page uh, comics, when we found we actually did uh, one-page comics of four panels, they were between um, anywhere between 100% better to actually about five, 6,000% better. And that's a massive difference. And also we found that the, the people who were looking at, at it were very different as well. So we made a, a fantastic story with Cara Delevingne, another one of Andy Serkis, that were multi-page comics. They did not get picked up by the algorithm of Instagram and get promoted on their discovery page. But we made a small comic with a, with a small comic artist who had a very, uh, had a very loyal, but small following, but because it was in that four panel structure, because it was very bright and colorful, because it was, had barely any words, I think it had like 10 words on it. It fitted the algorithm for the stuff that Instagram suggests to their audience. And therefore that had an exponentially bigger audience. Some of our comics have had you know, tens of millions of viewers because we tried it. We tried different things until we found a pattern that worked. And when we found the pattern that worked, not only did it mean you got more views, you got more views from an audience we were trying to get to too. You are mentioning Instagram and organic here. So you didn't pay, you're usually not paying to promote the, any of the, the posts, right? No, I paid for any of them. Okay. And so it means it's still possible to get viral on Instagram right now. I mean, I'm looking at your profile on Instagram. You have 28,000 followers within like, it was 177 posts. That's, <laughs> that's really good. So which means it's still possible to, to go viral Instagram or to like, not be not viral, but at least to, to go big. What are the key takeaways that you can think at the top of, of your head of, you know, what's working on Instagram right now in order to grow your account organically? What are the things you've tried that you know now for sure if you do these things, it's actually, you have maximized the chances to, to go well? Yeah, so um, for us, for what we're doing, it's a four-panel comic. 
and those four panels um, being quite visually easy to see as a four panel comic on a small phone screen. That's the absolute gold. So by that, what I mean is that the font is it a size that you can read while scrolling without needing to zoom in at all. Really, really key. Also, that all the information you can catch in the blink of an eye. You may need to look further to read the words, but you get everything immediately. You can say, okay, well, I can see that's an animal and I can see what's happening to it. I've got that while I'm scrolling. That's the biggest thing that I can say. But also working with subject matters that people care about, that are either topical or could be interpreted to be topical. So what I mean by that is you may have um, one of our comics that, that Chris McCoy did it's basically a dog, pal one, and the dog says, I got you something. The owner's like, oh, you shouldn't have. And then the dog basically curls up a poo on the floor, and then the, the guy goes, you shouldn't have. So that's a joke. It's basically a dog just pooping on the floor. But that is very memeable. So people can put like a little sign on that dog's neck that says, big business. So the dog's called big business. It's like, I've got you something. Then the man is like, average person. You shouldn't have panel three dog curls up a poop on the floor. The poop says climate crisis on it. The man says, no, you shouldn't have. If something is remixable, if it's applicable to your friends, if it's applicable to an argument you're making or a point you're trying to make, that's, is the, that's what gives it that extra ability to go from being a fantastic point to a viral one. And everyone might know of this one. It's a really great comic that's been shared, I'm sure, millions of times. It was made by Joel Pett. It was um, a, a, a cartoon, a satirical cartoon or a comic of, of one of the cop summits. And it had somebody on stage. It's got listed all the benefits of a green planet. It says new jobs, cleaner air, better um, equality. It basically lists all of the benefits of a green planet. And um, there's two people in the audience, and I can't remember the exact words, but basically one says, what if we do all this? And it turns out we've, we've improved the planet for nothing. You know, it's basically, it's that joke. People have used that to win arguments across social media and every platform. When people start saying about like, oh, but what if climate change isn't real? And people post that comic as an answer. It's like, even if you don't believe it's real, it's going to be a better world. Why wouldn't you? And it wins arguments. So that's the thing that we've certainly found. If people can immediately understand what the issue is, and also use what you, we've created and given them to win their own arguments, to have their own points, then you've got something that's really potentially both viral and also impactful and powerful too. That's very interesting. A bit more difficult to apply, I guess, to everything. But the first part that I want to summarize here is also having different layers is very, very important. So that the first layer that people, when they look at it in a second, they know what it's about. And then they can go into the details. Don't start with the details. Start with the absolutely with the, with the big layers first. I mean, I can actually show you that <laughs> that comic if you want. If it helps people to uh, understand what it is I'm actually talking about, um, I'm just quickly clicking through on my computer to pull up that comic in case that's helpful. Yeah, I will share it in the resources of the episodes. This was the comic that that, that yeah. safely endangered me. So the comic's been around for ages, but we then. Uh, have remixed it in this in this way and that's what i mean is so it's really helpful to actually have these comics where you can like i say you can immediately see what it is dog talking to owner dog pooing on the floor owner not happy but you can actually 
One, understand it. Two, empathize with it. And three, you can reuse it to make your own arguments, which is great. The concept was already existing before you just took the concept yep. as, a, as a meme, basically, and just changed the, the, exactly. the concept in it. Yeah. But if you also so, make a comic where you know people can do that, then you've you basically got a really good thing. And that gets back to the, the last part I wanted to ask you. So like, that's one of the tricks, for example, here is like, look at what series around, find inspiration and just adapt it. When you go back to this creation session in half an hour with Ricky Gervais, for example, you manage, you said, you explained, so the way you do it, you, you basically make it easy to first frame what you're going to talk about. So here are the options, what we could do. Let's focus on one. And then the hard work starts. And when you start with this brainstorming session, what are the tricks you do during this? Do you have any tips you're using during this half an hour to make that super efficient to go from, this is a topic and here is the final ideal, the closest to the final idea you can get. What yes, usually happens? Yeah, so I do have some very specific advice. For, for the people who are listening to this, like I, I forgot to mention in the past, but you are, you know, you are a producer. So you, you are on IMDb. People can find you on IMDb and you've produced mm -hmm. some big shows. Like you had two nominations for which awards again? Emmys. Yeah, so I didn't win anything. <laughs> so, but I need to always give a lot of credit to the other people involved in that production because basically, I don't know. I don't know why I got nominated. There was a lot better people than me. But um, yes, I both work under my own name, name and under pseudonyms as well. My work basically spans books, comics, TV shows, films, um, online games uh, production. Basically, I'm a storyteller, so I work across the story medium that suits the idea. Um, and uh, and yes, to your question, I actually can show you another comic that we made live with Dinos and Comics, BBC and Cheddar Gorgeous. And this is something that really helps to show exactly how it works. So you may remember, may remember for the, the first part of this, I spoke about start with something that's a problem. I feel so bad, I barely ever recycle. So that's the problem. That's the issue we're talking about here. Panel two should make it relatable. Nobody's perfect. So again, you've made it related. We all think, oh yeah, no one's perfect. And then panel three and four is the gag. So panel three, and I eat way too much meat, says Dinosaur One. Yeah. And then you get the gag. We will have our flaws. And you can see here, this corporate dinosaur is pouring crude oil directly into the sea. And that's basically about the kind of the environmental hypocrisy. And sometimes the average person feels like they are responsible for all of the dangers and the, pla and the planetary collapse. But the truth of it is actually three companies make up 80% of the problem. So although yes, we can all be part of the solution, that's not to say we should take the guilt of all of the problem. And to get back to the brainstorming session, how do you go from... Exactly. Yeah, so I say, and that was the idea. So we started with Cheddar Gorgeous, who was the notable, saying, I don't want people to feel like they're a hypocrite for the small amount of damage they do. I want people to understand where the biggest damage is. So what we did, we said, okay, so this idea that basically that we're not all equal in the damages caused to the planet. Let's start with that. And then let's start with the thought process that someone has. So just to go back to show the screen again, what's the thought process people have? I feel so bad. I barely ever recycle. That's the guilt. So we, we talked about that in the brainstorm. So we spoke to Cheddar and to Kay and to James, who are the people on the call. And we said, what's a line that we've all said? And I feel so bad. I barely ever recycle. What's the human relatable part? Well, no one's perfect. 
you know, don't, don't feel too bad about it. I eat way too much meat. Yeah. And we all have our flaws. That again was framed. The, the whole of the brainstorm was framed around the idea of how can we help people understand that actually it's not equal in the damage we do. And we explained it via that four panel thing. Panel one, introduce a problem. Panel two, basically show some sort of human relatable parts to the problem. Panel three and four, have a gag. And we did this whole comic. The whole comic was brainstormed in under 10 minutes. And the whole comic was drawn and created and finished live with BBC in under two hours. Oh, wow. Okay. So getting, uh, framing the problem, starting to brainstorm, agreeing on one where you want to start with, for example, here, starting with a problem, find a relatable fact that you can use, all agreeing on that. And then I guess just having more brainstorming to find the gang you could use until someone yeah. says something like, yeah, let's go for that. Exactly. Yeah. And it really was. It was so... It really was that so on this, you can watch it, it's available on the BBC website. Um, Cheddar said, oh, you know, it's people feel like they're destroying the planet and they're not doing perfect, don't get me wrong, but they're not, they're not as guilty as they might think. I think it was me actually who said, well, yeah, you know, you, I don't do this, I don't do that. And then you've got somebody else who's like, well, actually, I, I pour 10 billions of crude oil into the North Atlantic, you know. That wouldn't that be a fun thing to have two people talking about how bad they are and have a, a third person pouring this crude oil into the North Atlantic. And, um, and that was what formed the basis of the joke. Good. Thank you very much for all these advice. There's a lot of things in there that are super interesting for people who are uh, insightful. I hope for people who want to learn how to tell stories, how to be impactful for that. Let's go to what I usually ask to all my guests. What is the best advice you've been given? As an entrepreneur, this is actually, it is the best advice, but it's also the hardest advice to take and actually action, which is you are only as strong as the people around you. Having a good team of people who can offer you honest advice and can open doors for you and can actually put their arm around you when you need someone to talk to, that is without doubt for me, the most important thing that I've ever learned. Thank you. Which book would you recommend entrepreneurs like you to read beside beside people beside mine offering, uh, yeah <laughs> um oh i quite like business canvas actually there was that was a that was a good book that i enjoyed it helped me to break down my thinking into uh um which one into Bus business canvas bi with, yeah business canvas i think a business canvas model and um yeah. steve krug's don't make me think those really helped me steve krug's was uh, quite a while ago now but if you don't know it it's basically around the idea of understanding that people don't want to think when making decisions. They want to basically decide on the thing, not on how to actually engage with your platform. So take away every single thing they need to think about, getting from the point of deciding to buy it to buying it, make it as easy as possible, get rid of everything else so that they're, they're only deciding if they want the thing. Um, uh, so Steve did a lot of work with Amazon back in the day um, when I was also kind of in and around that world as well. And yeah, his book really inspired me. But not only just for conversion rate optimization and buying something, but also for a, a mindset that you can apply to everything, which is don't let the thing you care about get in the way of someone actually buying your product or actioning your thing, your product, whatever it might be. Make it easy for the people to achieve whatever you want them to achieve. Absolutely. If they don't need to know, don't tell them. Basically, you know, they can find out later. But don't force it down their throats. 
And then last question would be, you know, tell us one thing about you that I wouldn't be able to find out online. Oh, well, um, I can tell you something that people usually remark upon. I've never had a hot drink in my life. So a hot spicy or you mean a, a hot like coffee? Hot like coffee or I'm going to cover the list now because I always get the after questions. I haven't, before anyone asks, I know I haven't tried tea. I haven't tried coffee. I haven't tried hot chocolate. No, I haven't tried mulled wine. I haven't tried drinks that were basically like hot totties and uh, all those things. I haven't tried a hot drink. Full stop, period, exclamation point. I haven't had a hot drink. In your life, so even as a kid, you, you still there we go. picking it. <laughs> <laughs> even as a kid, I've never tried. See, it what? always happens. I tell people this, they always have fun. So you, you studied from, the, from scratch, you were like, I don't want a hot drink. I have no curiosity, Joe. I don't know what it is. Basically, I, I don't have that bit of me that says, I want to pour a formerly boiling liquid down my throat. I just don't have that part of me. I was the same with heroin. I didn't want to try that either. It just didn't, it just didn't appeal to me. Yeah. I mean, that's just pretty better for you. So to finish on this, so thank you very much for your time today, Paul, and sharing your mission and sharing all these advice about how to write a good story and how to have people join your mission. I will share the link in the podcast. Is there anything you would like to share with our audience? Are you looking, beside for people buying the books, giving donations, are you looking for employees? Are you looking for volunteers? Are you looking for investors? Yes, absolutely. So just to kind of quickly summarize, yes, absolutely. We're on all the social medias as at Rewriting Extinction. I'm on all of them as at Paul Goodenough. So we're very easy to find. And in terms of your, your last question, absolutely. So at the moment, just so everyone knows, I'm funding the entire project myself. So it costs me nearly a couple of thousand pounds a month. I cannot keep doing that. So yes, if there are investors out there who want to help us keep doing what we're doing and reaching new audiences, then absolutely do get in touch. And for the people who actually would prefer to donate, just so you know, all your money goes through to saving species from extinction. So we buy land, we change laws, and we reintroduce species. And so everything you do is very tangibly tied to an outcome. And that is updated weekly on our website of rewritingextinction.com. We are also looking for volunteers as well and people who can help us in our mission. We're doing incredible things. We've already had 115 million views. Um, and mostly, if not all of that, has come from us trying to do everything we can without internal investment. I've put some money in myself, but there has been no investment out outside of that. So volunteers allow us to actually reach a new level. And actually, I think there's some really, well, there are some really exciting things that we're being offered right now. But without more people and more money coming in, we can't actually reach those levels. So if there's someone out there who wants to help, we're all ears. Just get in touch. Thank you very much. Wishing you a great weekend. And thank you very much for everyone to listening. And have a great weekend too. So Paul Goodenough, Rewriting Extension and Mission First. Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone. Bye-bye. If you like this episode, you can share it with your friends because sharing is caring. And you can give it a five-star on Apple Podcast because this really helps to make it more visible to other entrepreneurs working on a better future like you. If you are busy and might not have the time to listen to all episodes of this podcast, just a little tip. Sign up for my newsletter on gtimpact.com. You will receive the summary of advice from each episode and you will get personal recommendations on which episode you should focus on depending on your current challenges, your industry and your startup stage. 
Thank you very much and see you next week for the next episode. Have a nice day.